Welcome to You Influence Podcast, where you will hear everything you need to learn how to be a man or woman of influence for the better in your personal and professional life, in business, at work, and in your social life. Becoming a person of positive influence has an invaluable effect in ways we cannot imagine, but can only be felt in personal fulfillment. What's up, influencers? Welcome back to another episode of You Influence Podcast. Today, I have a guest here who is actually making things happen in a big way, starting from an early age. And when I'm talking about business, I am talking about Gary Vaynerchuk turnaround family type of business. So that's going to be very interesting. Her name is uh, Shannon Hoig, right? Did I pronounce that? Okay, yeah. good. I got that one right. Um, Shannon was actually um, faced at the age of 23 with a tough decision to make. Um, her family had a long-standing business that was operated and ran, founded by her father. Yep. Right. And um, so basically, her decision was either take over the business because you know the business was about to go under, or he couldn't uh, perform in the business anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I understand, you were working in that business, so you had a job there. You were on a payroll, so it was either lose your job, family loses the business, right, and um, leave her father to basically to file for bankruptcy. That was the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, your mom was going to lose her home if the yeah a, yeah yeah I can, I'll expand on that but yeah okay and you were 23 correct wow all right okay. and uh, you turned that business around you by taking over it mm -hmm. I definitely have more questions about that because I find it very very um, intriguing um, you took over the company turned it around over the course of four years and then sold it and the company that acquired that your parents business your family business they hired you as a VP of business development. Correct. Right? And the company name that acquired it was uh, Spark Technology. Yes. And you're still you're working there today. Correct. I uh, sold the business June of last year. That is awesome. Yeah, and the reason why I said this, like Gary Vaynerchuk turned around, I don't know if you know his story, is like when he took over, when he started working with his parents uh, with the winery, and, uh, no, he, I don't know the story. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, he they were generating at that point $3 million annually. Okay. And within the five years, thanks to YouTube and you know social media, he turned it around into, I think, I believe it's $60 million within five years. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, we, you hear stories like that all the time, just kind of the younger generations kind of shifting the strategy and just using simple tools like social media and technology to kind of revamp. Yeah. So that I was in, that's in California, more. right? No, they're in Jersey. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to really look that up. That's, that's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So how did that happen for you? I mean, what were you, first of all, what were you doing in that business? Um, so the story goes really far back, but I guess the, the earliest kind of, I think, memory that I have is that I was going to school. I was in college at business management, and my father came to me. I was like 19. He said, how would you like to join the business? Um, it was a telecommunications company. So he was doing like low voltage and fiber optic cabling for construction. And in Massachusetts, um, if you're like a woman-owned business or woman-run business, you can get like state contracts. So he was like, I'd love to have you join the team and eventually take over. And we can get state contracts. And he kind of built, I said, well, that's exciting. But even at age 19, I said, I don't know your industry. I need to learn it first from the ground up before I even consider taking something like that over. So I sort of joined the team in a, um, first as like, um, what was it? I did like a stud, like, um, like in school where you can do a, um, part-time job. Internship? Uh, like an internship. So I did like an internship at the family business, but it was really just my dad. He was like a sole proprietor and just had like subcontractors for larger projects. So I came on as an intern and then I slowly transitioned after college into kind of man, like operations management, project management. And then it got to a point where it was like, it was so deep within the business. Um, then we kind of were faced with this major uh, shock factor about two years into me being a part of the company officially. So I definitely want to get into what factors were they? Yeah. But how, how old was the business? When did he start? He started into actually 2008. 
so it was, it sounds, you know, it was young and it's, you know, it was, it was young, but at the same time he had been in business for about five years. Okay. So it was yeah. already sustainable. Yeah. And how many people did he have? Like I said, he was a sole proprietor and for Hold larger up. projects, he would subcontract out. Uh, once I came on board, we hired another full-time person. I was full-time. He was full-time. Um, and then we had other subs for when we had large projects. Interesting. Now I want to hear the factors, but I also have uh, my own opinionated question. Yeah, of course. And um, do you think if he would have started hiring people instead of subcontracting, it would have helped not go under or at least be faced with going under? Yeah. So if he would not be, uh, as a, uh, if he would not stay as a sole proprietor, do you think it would help him not face that challenge? So have you ever read the book, The E-Myth Revisited? Yes. yes. It's, it's almost, um, he, it's, he's like a hundred percent that, that storyline where he is just like that, that carpenter or that baker or that electrician, they're great at what they do. They just don't know how to run a business. And that's, that's it. I find that's an epidemic with a lot of like the baby boomer generation. They all went into business because they were great at what they did. They were passionate about what they do. But the details, like we were kind of discussing before we hopped on the podcast, you know, the expertise that needs experts like taxes and accounting and finance and um, all the legal legalities, he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. And, it, and that was kind of his biggest downfall. Yeah, I had a feeling that's why I asked that question. Yeah, and guys, if you're listening, and uh, the book that she's referencing to is called E Myth by Michael Gerber, phenomenal book, Great and it book. teaches you a lot of um, principles and concepts of. You're mentioning right now the younger generation, but it's always been that way. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, it's people in the service industry. It's the technicians. It's the developers. It is the coaches and trainers. It is the telecom guys. It doesn't matter who you are. Naturally a person has a tendency of doing everything on their own because number one, it's a trust factor, you know, because we all bought in from a young age of, you know, if you're going to do it right, you're going to do it yourself. Right. Complete right. nonsense. It's true up to a point. Then you have to start delegating. The problem with delegation, what I find is that when people start delegating, they expect the other person to perform up to par to their standards without having to train them 110%. Absolutely. So you, you have to be able to, in order for you to build a team, and the team starts with you first, not mm -hmm. with the first person you hire, but the team starts with you because you got to lead yourself. You know, I had an argument with, not argument, a debate with, <laughs> and she's like, well, you can't really teach leadership development because then you have management. I'm like, leadership development is present since the day you're born. Right. Because you lead yourself. The baby starts walking, and before it starts walking, it, it tell the baby tells itself, like, you know, I'm going to get up one more time. Nobody's telling them, don't get up, give up. Right? It's a subconscious mechanism of right. yourself. Mm -hmm. So going back to delegation, you have to teach and train the people that you bring on board before you start expecting anything off of them. So Absolutely. You know, and then, the, I mean, it's a phenomenal book and it teaches you how to go from a solopreneur to an actual business, going from a technician to an operator to a business owner, right? Because you can own the business, but you don't have to be operating the business. Right, right. And no, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's for, for me, I hired, you know, I delegated out like bookkeeping and accounting and, and the legal stuff. And that was where the trust factor came into play. Like you can't really, obviously I couldn't train these, these professionals on what I needed, but I set the expectation. Like I'd want to chat every exactly. quarter. We're going to have a call every Monday, whatever the, the project was or what needed to be done. I set the level of, of service and expectation that I wanted from them and built absolutely wonderful relationships. Like those few professionals that I hired, the bookkeeper, accountant and legal, um, the attorney, were instrumental in me being able to push the company forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And let me just also make something clear because you just brought it up and I'm like, okay, I think I, I didn't think I made myself clear enough. When I say you have to train them, 
Yeah, no, if, you're if, talking about the actual employees when you bring them on. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking about even if I hire an employee. So let's say if I'm hiring an accountant or I'm hiring a graphic designer, I personally cannot train them on that craft. They know their stuff, right? But right. I have to train them on expectations. I have to train them on core values. I have to train them what this business is about. So mm -hmm. they know what to look up to. They have to know what to expect. They also know what we expect of them. And I need them to understand that what they could expect from the leadership as well. It's a two-way communication, right? Absolutely. You train on core values and culture development, stuff like that. So when you hired uh, those people, you didn't know their job per se, but on a macro level, you knew exactly what had to be done so you could hold them accountable, correct? Right, right, absolutely. Okay. And that's yeah. where your dad, you know, uh, kind of, he didn't do that. Yeah. And I think it was everything himself. Yeah. It was funny too, because when I came on board initially as like a full-time hire, he was scared. He was, he was like, uh, I don't know if I can support your a salary. That's crazy. You know, but I, I tried to share with him with me being full-time, we're going to get paid faster. We're going to invoice faster. We're going to save money. The project's going to be coordinated more efficiently. Um, and then we eventually got to a point where we can not only afford me, but also another full-time employee and another vehicle. So it just, I was streamlining the process and making things um, more efficient. So uh, naturally the revenue was going up. So let me ask you this. You were 19. I was 19 when he came to me and said, let's, would you like to join the business? Um, and that's when I sort of started getting involved like that internship and sort of shadowing him a little bit. Um, and then once I graduated college in 2012 is when I joined the company full time. So here's my question now. Yeah. Did you learn all of those things that you were helping your dad with in school or it kind of came naturally to you? <laughs> to be honest, um, I get asked that a lot. Actually, people say to me, you know, cause I recently have like an MBA in business management, you know, but, um, so you're one of those smart kids in business. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it really does come naturally. Like I love, I'm a business geek. I love business. I love talking about business. I love talking about processes and operational things and development. So it started before you went to school or as you were in school, you developed that inquisitive mind of business. No, I think I always have. Like even at, um, it's funny, even at age, so at age nine, my, my older sister was selling newspapers. You know, the, the term a hawker you would like sit outside like a storefront. She was selling, it was actually the Patriot Ledger. And she, it was every Saturday, like five, six, she had to get up at five in the morning. She did like three weeks. It was like, I'm done. Wait, she was how, 12. How old was she? Oh, 12. She was 12. You could do that because Holy I, I don't know, the, the, the parents had to be there. So they, they kind of allowed it to happen. Well, she didn't want to do it anymore. I said, well, I want to, I want to do it. So I was nine. So every Saturday morning for three years, I got up and sold the newspaper. Um, so that time, I mean, I was constantly you know, I saved all my money. It kind of naturally taught me, I think sales. It taught me like analyzing people. I knew who was or wasn't going to buy the paper or who or was or wasn't going to give me money. It was actually, the economy was really good. People would give me like five bucks and say, I don't even want the paper. You're a good kid. Or like, here's a hot chocolate. Like, so at a young age, I loved kind of being involved in, you know, I loved working. I liked working and having my own money and being a part of growing businesses or growing myself. So I think it came natural, but I will say in school, there was, there was a lot of great, I had amazing professors. Um, I was at, I went to UMass Boston and we always say it was like, the, it was like the poor man's Harvard because we had, I had teachers that were, one of them was like the president of Bank of America in China. Another one was a consultant for Google. So um, we got some real world experience. So I taught, I learned a lot in school, but to be able to be a business owner, um, it's, I don't think anything can really prepare you. I think you just have to be open to not being an expert in everything and really taking guidance and mentorship and following the rules when it comes to tax, taxation and, and legal stuff. Of course, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you gotta, if you're going to go long term, you have to stay compliant for right. sure. Well, so that was actually, that was my father's, that was like the, the catalyst was that, um, he was passionate what he did. He just was making a ton of tax mistakes and truly I, I, they weren't, I don't think it was, anything was intentional. Um, we ended up getting a letter in the mail that he like owed 
$40,000. I'm like, dad, there's no way. He's like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I thought I paid everything. Well, it came down to it that um, he was out of compliance. He wasn't paying the right taxes for five years. He owed um, $175,000 after taxes and fees and penalties. Um, and he had to close down. This is where this was kind of like that moment. Um, he was faced with, I got to close down the business. And that's where kind of my legacies kind of started. Wow. So being that he was already financially in the hole because of the, what he owed, did, what did you do? Um, did you have to start increasing sales? So um, how did you turn it around? That's my question. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we, I hired experts. So we had, um, how, did you hire, how did you hire experts if you guys had no money in the business? So there was money in the business. The problem is that he was going to owe 175,000. We had money in the bank, but this was like a major, this was a major problem. He hadn't paid taxes in five years. Um, the IRS, you know, they're not, it's not a game with them. So I ended up talking to my accountant. He said, I know this amazing tax attorney. So I ended up gathering a legal team, tax attorney, accountants, and finance. And we all sat in a room and said, okay, what's the problem? How do we fix this? Um, and it ended up coming down. We did all the right steps, all everything about board um, to get him away from the business and get him away from, you know, me away from his, his issue, his tax issue. Um, but I was in the meeting again, I'm 23. The tax attorney looks over to me and was like, you ready to take over? And I was like, okay. You know, I, <laughs> I, and I, and I think back now, like nobody for a half second said like, you should think about this. They just had this assumption that I was ready to take over. Um, and my parents actually were divorced at the time, but my dad was still on the deed of my mom's house. So because he was connected to the, the house, even though they hadn't been married in 10 years, the IRS was going after all of his property. So she was in um, jeopardy of potentially losing, losing this house that she's paid for for the last 10 years. Um, so I, I kind of realized that I had a duty. Some people question that, but I had a duty to take over and fix this for them because I knew I had the ability to, whether it was my passion or not, it's, I knew I could do it. Wow. Yeah. I don't know who in the world would question that regardless. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, people like to think of like, what if, or, you know, the what ifs, I think it's never good to look back into the, the past and, and recreate pretend scenarios of what could or, could or shouldn't have happened. But I, I had a, my experience being the business owner was not easy. It was very, very, very difficult. And I, but the lessons that I learned and the network that I built and the opportunities that I had in that time were, was something I could never have gotten on my own doing, you know, work being as an employee for somebody else. So um, definitely a silver lining for sure. So you saved the business and you saved your mom's house. Yes. Do, do you think if this opportunity wouldn't have come, you would end up, uh, following the traditional route, you know, having your undergrad and then MBA and then being an employee, maybe a high paid employee, effective yeah. one. Yeah, no, I know. I think about that sometimes. Like what would it have looked like? And I don't really know. I'm a self starter. I think I would have struggled being fulfilled going back, back in like Boston. A lot of the business management people went to like some of the big state, like state street or some of these big Boston companies. And there was like a quick turnover or a lot of them went into like being financial advisors for New York life and then ended up, you know, being fired because, or, you know, they just didn't know sales. So, um, I don't know where I would have been. I, I try not to think too, too much about it because you can always create this great yeah. version of what you could have or could have, um, experience you could have had, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough question. So you touched on something earlier, um, when you were nine and you took over your sister's spot. Yeah. You do know, you, you listened to a couple of episodes of this podcast, right? Yeah. I've listened to, yeah. Including yeah, the first one. No, I think I may have accidentally skipped the first one. I kind of like went a little bit later. Ooh. Okay. You definitely have to check the first one. Okay. Um, all right. Here's the reason why. Um, I've been questioned in, uh, in regards to the theme of this podcast, the, the amount of episodes that I would release on weekly or monthly, whatever basis, mm -hmm. uh, because you have podcasters and then you have 
habitual podcasters, you have monetized podcasters, mm-hmm. right? People that you know do podcasts for a living because they need to make a living and they get sponsorships. Right. And then you have people that just want to talk because they want to share a message like myself, but they're either you know a freelance or they have a business. Mm-hmm. Right. So I fall into that last category. I wanted to come out with this podcast simply because sharing something on social media, a little blurb or a meme, something motivational isn't enough. Yeah. You get people that love it. You get people that like, okay, sounds cool. Yeah. Move on. And then they have people that are like, Oh man, I'm sick and tired of his shit. You know, like what's what, why is he always optimistic? Why are you so positive? (laughs) Why does he have something smart to say? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, if you're so annoyed, why don't you just unfollow me? <laughs> right. Self the headache because you're not doing me a favor. Right. Right. Oh, I find people like that are just, it comes from their own insecurities. Exactly. I'm not Absolutely. even going to get into that, of course. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's not enough. So let me launch the podcast. So it's going to be a, a long form message. And at the same time, it's not going to be just my voice. I'm going to have guests on as well mm-hmm. because there's a lot more wisdom from others right yeah and i'm like okay so we'll do it and then one of the two episodes a week and people thought mm-hmm. i was nuts they're like are you kidding me do you know how difficult it is you know like how much time you got to commit plus you're working and are you gonna make money with this i'm like no the point is not to make money with it the point is just basically to distribute the message you know mm-hmm. while i'm building the business and servicing my clients mm-hmm. and it took me about a year and a half to do it and simply because there were people that were telling me that not to do it and like a fool, I listened. Yeah. You know? And one day I'm like, okay, let's do it. So when I came up with the name, my, the company name is uh, Unplugged Influence. That's yep. the official company name. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so let's do a U Influence. I was playing around with the words, with the, uh, with the slogans and stuff like that. And then I took the U from Unplugged to shorten it, right? And I was, as I was listing the topics and I was coming up with a guest on my list because I have them, like people that I've known and built a relationship with yeah. over the last 15 years, I'm like, you know what? This is going to be great for individuals, not just for businesses with employees. Mm-hmm. So I turned a U into like a Y-O-U. Yep. You as an individual, you are an influencer, whether you realize it or not. But before all that happened, we get influenced especially by parents mm-hmm. right? or the lack of parenting right? Um, to do what we do, to make the decisions that we make on a daily basis, the jobs that we pick, the friendships that we form, the food that we choose, right? everything right. is a result of someone else influencing us. So that's the essence of the first episode. Yeah. And the reason why I bring this up is because you mentioned when you were nine, you had this Tendent, um, like you wanted to experience what your sister just gave up and yeah. you started saving at that early age. I have two kids. One is turning 12 this coming Thursday. The other one is turning seven in June. And th- what they're doing today is based on observations of their parents. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that mentality at the age of nine of wanting to do that? starting to make money, get up early every Saturday because no kid wants to get up early on a weekend. They want to sleep in. No, right, you know? right. Like, how, what influenced you? Yeah, um, I think that's great. I love that you, you say that, though. We all are being influenced every single day of our lives. And it, I don't know what the – we ha- and within my family, we have a high – like a very strong and high work ethic. So even before 9, it was, I, was, I was that kid making the lemonade um, I was the kid baking the cookies, selling them on the side of the road. I mean, I was doing everything I could and now thinking about it in a small way to be like my own little boss. Um, and I have to give my dad. Were, were your parents entrepreneurial at that time already? No, it, they just were hard workers. They were really hard workers and they gave us a lot of like sort of natural freedom to kind of create and imagine. And I don't, you know, some, you know, you think about it, some kids could have had an experience where like, mom, I want to do a lemonade stand. Like, no, we don't have time for that. That was never the response that I got. It was probably like, okay, well, you got to go do it and go figure it out. Um, you know, I will give my dad a lot of credit. He's the one who woke up every Saturday morning with me. 
it was at, we ended up being um, outside like the local coffee shop where all of his friends were and he was a firefighter. So like he went there, drank, you know, 10 cups of coffee, got caught up on the newspaper and with all of his friends. So, you know, it was, I think we did six to nine in the morning every Saturday. So I had a, I also, I had a sacrifice a lot. I mean, I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't go sleep over anyone's house on Friday nights. I could occasionally, but it was rare. Um, and then I ended up at age 13, I ended up started working at a, a restaurant and I, I worked every Saturday and Sunday morning, um, all through, um, middle school and high school. So I just have always been a worker and I enjoy it. And I think it definitely comes from my parents. They, they worked hard. They never complained. Um, and they allowed us to sort of kind of lead our own path and where we wanted to go. Did you have a childhood? You know, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. that's, that's, um, that's a bold question, but, it, but because I, I can't say I a hundred percent did. We, we had a great, it was great. We had a great life, but we didn't, there wasn't a lot of money. Um, we grew up like middle to lower class. My dad lost his job at one point. Things were really rough. And then my father actually left when, when I was 13. Um, he left a family. It was actually on Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's, I still love the holiday, but, um, so it was very tumultuous as, at a young age. And then I may have, I probably used work and the extracurricular stuff to kind of keep my mind busy. And then once he left, um, my mom worked nights. So it was me and my older sister that kind of cared for my younger sister um, up until I was 18 and went off to college. So, no, I don't think I've ever had a normal childhood, a normal teenage years, normal 20s. Um, yeah, but I, it's made me kind of who I am today. I'm, I'm still grateful for, for the life that I've had to live, sometimes been thrown into certain situations. So it was not, if it was not one thing, it was always the other. So between family, school, and then to get your mind off stuff and to, I guess, I guess to compensate for your emotions, you engage yourself in work. Oh, absolutely. I still, I still do. I'm, I'm, I'm after selling the business, I was like, okay, I need, I need to press pause. Like I need to, I, I just hustled and had my head down for four or five years and um, kind of lost a little bit of, of myself. I was like, okay, I don't have any hobbies, <laughs> you know, I don't. When, when was this? When was that realization? The, the realization was probably like six to eight months before I sold the business. Um, things weren't, my father and I's relationship, relationship was not going well. It was very tumultuous, uh, very toxic in being business in business together. So I think it, I forget, it was probably around the time that I met my now husband. Um, he was just so calm and relaxed and he saw the anxiety that the business was causing in me. And he's like, why don't you go, you know, what are your hobbies? I was like, ah, I don't know. I, I like to eat and sleep and work, you know? And I kind of, lo I lost a little bit of like who I was because I was so focused on the business. So that's when I started looking for um, someone to buy the business. Okay. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, each episode is designed to help someone or a lot, yeah. a lot of people, right? Whether it's on a personal level or on a business. Um, I do have a personal question for you right now. Yeah. You don't have to answer it. Okay. Just tell me, you know, <laughs> let's, next question. Next. Um, only because I know people in my life as well. And I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people listening to this. Maybe it's either, either themselves or they know someone where the parents were not together. Like mm -hmm. I also came from a family. My parents got uh, divorced when I was a teen. Uh, but between the age of, uh, how old were you? 13 when your dad left? Yeah. Okay. So 13 and 19 when he came to you when you were in college in regards to business, were you in touch with him? Um, yes, but not in, um, I was at an, a weird age where you didn't have to have visitation. So my younger sister did. We, we had an okay relationship, but he, um, I don't think it's ever intentional. He, but he wants to be a good dad, wants to be a good person. He just, he just gets himself into situations where it's questionable where his, his priorities are. So um, we had an okay relationship, but I was still at that time, the daughter. I, when he came to me at 19 and said, do you want to join the business? I, 
I was like, yes, now I'll have a relationship, like a really good relationship with my dad. I get to, I haven't really seen him too, too much over the last six years, but now I get to see him every day. This so is you, be- you, want, you wanted to, there was no resentment, right? Not at first. No, I was excited. I thought dad wants me to join the business. It's going to be great. We're going to be friends. We're going to, you know, have a relationship again. Um, it was not that way though. It was a false kind of uh, mindset that I had. Yeah. And I didn't really have any mentors at the time to make, if I, I think if I had someone say to me, like, really think about this, like, is this really the path you want to take? Um, I may not have taken it, but I just, I didn't really have that, that meant those mentors at all. Your gut was your mentor. <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, I questioned it at the time. Now thinking back, I question my gut, but you know, it is. It, it led you in the right direction though. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the whole point. You know, most of the time we do not realize why things happen to us at that moment. And we question ourselves. We're looking for third party validation, a mentor, right? Uh, Right. Whatever. And at the end of the day, we have to listen to ourselves because most of the time the gut is not going to steer you wrong. Your mind, your mind most likely will. Right. Kicks into that logical gear. And it will give you every excuse of why not to do something. Oh, yeah. I even, you know, around selling the business, um, I even had people that even though they were mentors, they're like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? You know, um, and thank God I listened to my guy. I was like, this is not the right, the right thing for me. I need, to, I need to move on from this. And for a while, my brain was like, well, if you sell a business, you're a failure. That's, and I've seen that happen to a lot of business owners that sell their business. They, they look at it as a failure, um, but everybody externally sees it as such a, an amazing win. It's a win, um, absolutely. It's a huge win. Now, looking back, but it was, it's interesting. You're, you're very right. Like your gut, my gut was like, no, you got to do this. And it's the best decision I made, really. Absolutely. Listen, yeah. even, if, even when a failure is a failure, which is like, okay, you lost the business. You tried. Right, right. It, it doesn't make you as an individual a failure. The business failed. Right. Yeah, you contributed towards its failure. You try right. to run, get up and do something all, all over again. Exactly. Such a learning experience. Absolutely. And I, when you talk about influencing people, I hope that someone is listening to this podcast, though, that is considering going into business with family. Um, that's who I talk to a lot, is people that are siblings or children that are looking to get into business with their, you know, their family. Um, and I always kind of talk them through the process. Like, okay, what's your current relationship? If there's resentment, where's the resentment? Um, where do you see it in five years? Where do they see it in five years? Um, it, can, it takes a lot, a lot of work to work with family. And some, some families have great businesses and it operates smoothly, but nine times out of 10, you're taking on a, a major headache and you've got to be ready for what it um, what it's going to contribute to your life from a positive, but also a really negative aspect as well. Okay. So you stayed on as a VP. Yes. Right. Was that immediately or it took them a while? Nope. That was, I came on, that was my role was VP business development. Okay. And your dad retired? Um, semi-retired. So he, I brought the entire, at the time I had, um, we fluctuated over the last four years. I had at most, I think like seven employees. Um, at the time when they purchased my company, they had, I had four. We had to let the admin go. She was an amazing person, but it was a duplication of, um, of roles. And I brought the technicians on board. We eventually made a decision about six months later to um, get rid of the wiring division of the company, which would technically make my father's role um, unnecessary. So we still utilize them um, as kind of like a contractor as needed, but he has another job with another company. Okay. But at least that part, the stress is off his shoulders, right? Of carrying the business. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm, and I'm actually, some people said like, do you really think you could, you know, be an employee now? I was like, I'm not like 50, you know, I'm still so, so young. And I think there's a ton of value in being an employee of a business. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's so much to learn when you have expectations and you have standards and you have someone keeping you accountable 
or when you make a mistake, someone letting you know you made this mistake and this is how we fix it. Um, as a business owner, you're, you're the, your own critic and that's it's tough to, to be your own critic. So there is, I feel like sometimes a limitation on growth and really being honest with yourself um, when you need to make a change. So uh, it's, I'm super excited in the role that I'm in now. I mean, I have a lot of autonomy. The, the owner of the business trusts my judgment. We work really well together. We're polar opposites, but we work really well together. And um, I love what they do. I love what they stand for. So that's my current goals at the moment is to really focus in on growing this business um, exponentially and then working on my own personal and professional growth. Yeah. Well, you touched on a personal professional growth. That, that's good because I, yeah. um, well, what I find very, very interesting, it's not an easy thing to go from business ownership to being on somebody else's payroll. Yeah. It is not. But right. I'm glad that you're actually finding the good in this. And I'm sure it comes with a lot of pride, not because you're a VP, but because your company got bought by these guys and they kept you on. So that means they see a lot of value in you. Right, right. And the fact that you share common values with the founder of the company. Now, where are they in Massachusetts or in New York? Yeah, they're based in Massachusetts. Um, I manage the two territories, New York and Massachusetts. Okay. So they cover uh, just two states? At the moment, yeah. We do have a client that's in multi-states, but we don't necessarily market ourselves as being like a, a national company. Now, what size company is, uh, is this? Um, is this Stark? Spark, Spark Technologies. Spark, Spark Technologies. Yeah, there is nine of us, nine full-time. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's um, and, and you're still heavily involved in, um, like you mentioned, personal and professional development because you're reading business books, you're attending, you know, uh, seminars. I've seen some some of your posts from LinkedIn. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, I was a sales event or business event. Yeah, sales event. Yeah, sales I event. Sales training. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I um, I realized I absolutely love learning. I love I love learning and growing and developing. Um, I think there's so much value in, you know, I'm reading at so many books. I kind of tend to start a lot of books and then start another one. And that book tells you to read another one. So I go and buy that book. Um, the, I don't think life, you should never stop trying to low, grow and learn. Um, and that's where I'm at in my life now is I realize that there's so much for me to learn. There's so much, so many other people for me to learn from. I've had mentors over the years, but now I'm really focusing on those things that really are passionate for me, you know, what am I passionate about and following the people that are teaching about it. So yeah, I just, I love podcasts. I like yours. I mean, just a few that I lift, listen to, I've been so um, impressed by their stories and their journeys. And there's a lot to, to get out of those for sure. Well, I, I think a major factor here is that you're an implementer. Uh, you could definitely hear it in your story and <laughs> your answers. And unfortunately, a lot of people are great learners. Mm -hmm. They tune in to podcasts, they listen to audiobooks, they read books, they consume a lot of content, but that's it. That's where it stops. Right. And right. I always relate, and this is something I've learned over the years. You know, don't forget I'm an immigrant here. So right. like for me, I'm always comparing how it is here and uh, first where we came from, but also to other countries. Mm -hmm. And when you look at consumption versus production, mm -hmm. you will you can literally apply the same formula to an individual as it is to a nation. So I'll give you a great example. You consume content, but you also produce. You're an implementer. Yep. Okay. Other people consume content, but they don't produce any content. Yep. You take a country, including the one we live in. Mm-hmm. When, you, when a country goes from being a productive country to being a consuming country, the economy starts to go down. Mm -hmm. It could be overinflated because you have the opportunity to print your money like U.S. does, right? But is it a true healthy economy? Yep. It's not. Right, right. Not 100%. when you're $20 trillion in debt. Right. And all you're doing is consuming. So as an individual... And I've analyzed this over the past, I would say, four or five years. 
you know, people that are going out on social media or they're just consuming information, but they're not producing anything into the marketplace, mm-hmm. their personal economy in their own home is a downward spiral. That's a good, yeah, absolutely. No, that, I've never kind of thought of it that way, but I, I agree. So that, that's why I'm always paying attention to people that are implementing, that are doing right. something, that are putting out something into the marketplace. Even if it's social media related, like what type of content, is it just family pictures or are you posting something that will uh, deposit something mentally into somebody else's life? Mm-hmm. I never thought of it that way as like a contributing versus a consumer of information. Um, I've always sort of lived by the, I don't know if it's the right word, mantra, but if you have the ability to influence, impact, or help somebody, you have you have responsibility to. That's that's what I truly. And most people you. don't want to take that responsibility. Right. They're afraid because yeah. they're not confident enough, and that right. lack of confidence comes from lack of doing themselves. Right. They don't trust themselves to execute even on the littlest things. Right. Therefore, they cannot take the responsibility of being responsible to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that, that catalyst moment when I'm in, you know, the meeting with the lawyers and like, can you, are you ready to take over? I don't even think for a second I thought, no, I had such trust in myself. I'm like, you're going to do it. And there's, there's no question about it. So I had that kind of confidence around knowing that I personally had the ability to do it. So it's, that's, that's interesting, your perspective on that. I've never kind of thought of it that way. It doesn't matter whether you're a small business, individual, or again, a whole country, when you stop producing, you are yeah. going to be going down. No matter how you look at it, I don't care who's arguing this, whether you're you know, a Democrat or Republican or conservative, it is what it is. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, at the yeah. end of the day, we need to all act a little bit more like kind human beings. We're all humans at yeah. the end of the day. I think we all some, I think people forget about that in, in the discussion of politics and, and, and things of that nature. And, and for me, the word influence is a, is a big thing. It's a lot of responsibility and being, uh, because you could influence somebody negatively or positively, right? Right. So based on our conversation, it's all positive influence. And in your case, just from hearing your story, I know there was something there at a young age that has influenced you to become that way. Maybe it was part of your DNA already. Right, you know? right. That, that means that's, that's great. You're quote unquote lucky. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But is it safe to assume that your dad is in um, was more of an alpha personality? He was a firefighter. You mentioned. Yeah, he's. Um, is it a type? No, it's interesting. I've yet to the only kind of analysis that I'm able to really do of him is that he has just narcissistic tendencies, which some some of them are good characteristics. Where that charismatic you know, front, front stage. He's really great with people. He's great at relationship building. Um, my mom was extremely quiet. She's very, very, very quiet, very Good reserved. Nature. Yeah. Um, very, very reserved. But her, the number one thing I learned from her was resilience. I mean, through the entire situation of my dad leaving, I saw her cry like once. Um, and she was, the moment it happened, she was just like focused. It's like, I have these three daughters to take care of and that's going to be my job. And she just, I never really heard her complain. You know, she never talked bad about my father, even though she probably could have or should have. Um, yeah, she's taught me to be very resilient. So that was probably a huge factor in the business where I knew I could endure a lot. And I still to this day know that I can. I mean, and since this business, I now I feel like I could go the, the sky's the limit now on what I'm capable of and what I can consume and, and handle in my own oh. life. It sounds like she was a strong and smart woman. She is. Yes, she is. It's, 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 very, it's very valuable when a parent understands that to protect their children's mindset and not yep. to develop that negative hatred towards another parent. And I'm not condoning people leaving, and I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying they should. Everybody's situation is always different. Absolutely. Unless you live in their skin, you don't understand what they're going through 24-7 in their mind and the things right. that they take with them to sleep, nobody knows about, so you can't really judge ever. But at the end of the day, when you understand that you have to protect the mindset of the kids and let them be their own judge when they grow up, that, right. is, that it takes a very special individual to do that. 
Oh yeah. So you, is, yeah. You, you know the disc formula personality types. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So who would you say? I'm trying to figure out the influence uh, uh, that was on Shannon. Okay. Uh, so on the disc formula, who's your dad? Who's your mom? So that's the tough thing. It is. It's nearly. It's very difficult to do disc on the people closest to you, um, because you're so impacted. I, honestly, I've even thought about it. And I'm like, okay, my dad's this or my mom's that. And I'm like, no, they do these things. So that doesn't make sense. So I, I think if I were to look at my mom, she would be like an S, SC, SC. SC. And, yeah, and my dad's a high I. But I think he would be like a IC. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe yeah, guys, if, you, if you're confused, just Google disc personality types. Mm-hmm. It's it's um it's a psychological evaluation based on four personality types. They all go back to, oh, man, I forgot who was it, Socrates or Plato, like two and a half, whoever was around twenty mm-hmm. years ago. So all these personality types are based on that concept. Um, a lot of trainers talk about it differently. They talk in colors. They talk in animals. They talk in seasons, yeah. right? But at the end of the day, it's four basic personality types. Uh, there is um. Martin Briggs personality types. Uh, so if you went to school to college and you took psych classes, like 101, 102, you yep. 16 personality types. So these four is the sum of all those 16, and it's very easy. It's much easier to learn. Uh, yeah. But all of this analysis is based on psychological personality uh, distinguishes. Uh, there is a biological one, which is I recently learned about, which is called the bank code. Hmm. Yeah. What's it called? How do you say it? B- bank code. B-A-N-K. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's based on biology. So I just came back from Minnesota and I met yeah. one of their uh, trainers, the corporate trainers. Mm-hmm. She was there. And apparently they use the same technology that we're building our training platform on for um, Unplugged Influence. Oh, awesome. And they're using it with uh, Bradley Lightspeed VT uh, out in Vegas. And the company's actually based out in Vegas. Really, really interesting concept. Now I have my hands uh, on this information because I got to learn that because for the past 15 years, I've been doing everything in regards to personality types based on disk formula, mm-hmm. which is psychological. Now oh, absolutely. Biological aspect. So this should be very interesting. Yeah. And, and I've always thought, I'm like, I need everyone that I know to take the disk. You know, I, I know DISC from a sales perspective and kind of like a communication style. I haven't, I haven't dived too much into like the personality aspect. Um, it'll be kind of me listening to cues on how people respond to questions just so that I know how to communicate better with them or share my product or the value that is going to resonate with them. So that's where it's kind of tough with my, my parents or close loved ones to kind of evaluate them because they're not like my sale, you know, people I'm selling to. So. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I love the but that's I I'm gonna look up the bank code because the biological aspect, like it's amazing what the mind and the body does. Um, and I think there's only the more you can learn about how to connect with people, the better every everybody's gonna be, you know, um, and just be cognizant on how people interpret information, how they process information, and how you're influencing or impacting them by your communication is is crucial. I want to try to get them from the bank code on a podcast. Totally. So go into detail and break down and teach people how to actually use this information uh, for the good to connect with other people on a level that you never thought you could connect with them on. Because right. typically, you know, as a leader or even as any type of influencer, that means anyone, right? Um, we speak to people in our language. 100%, yeah. We don't know what their language is. Right. If right. they're more monotone, if they're more nurturing, if they're quiet individual, and here comes an A type just wants to dominate everything and everyone, right? Are going to be speaking their language? Yeah, yeah. And me being an I, I'm naturally extrovert, naturally outgoing, and doing the disc um, training has allowed me to realize, like, okay, how is my style going to impact this person? And always being cognizant of that. I'm, Absolutely. And when you start learning the details, actually, you don't have to give somebody a test of, to find out who they are. If you go to a sales meeting, you know, you could look for giveaways, you know, the type mm-hmm. of clothing they wear, how they have their hair, the color of their hair, hairstyle, 
the type oh, yeah. of jewelry they wear, the kind of accessories, belts, wallets, purses, shoes, right? Yeah. Uh, hands taken care of or not. Like these giveaway signs that will tell you who they are. You yeah, can assess so that within 30 seconds, literally. So you could, you know, mold your approach, your kind yeah. of language to their style. Mm -hmm. And some people see that as like hyper analyzing, but I think, I think it's actually one of the most like selfless things you can, at the end of the day, it's about making that person comfortable. Yep. You know, whether you're in a sales environment, you're in a advisor, your advisor capacity to being attorney, whatever your profession is, being able to connect with that person and make them comfortable. It's a, it's a positive thing. So I, I always get sometimes people push back to say like, oh, disc, and you're analyzing, you're hyper-analyzing. You're yeah, exactly. You're, you're manipulating, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, just strip everything away and look at it this way. Very, very simple. We all, I'm like, wouldn't you agree that we all get along with people that are more like us? Isn't it true? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Why is that? Because we speak the same language. Maybe we share common values. We speak maybe the same tone of voice, mm -hmm. right? If that's the relatability, if that's the common factor, why wouldn't you become better at it? Right, right, right. That's it. Yeah. You know, just yeah. look at it that way. Simplify it. Yeah. And now you have a formula of how to get it done. That's all it is. The disc is a formula. Right. That's and all there's it so is. Many, like you said, there's so many resources that are free, but if, there's so many companies that can help you kind of teach people a little bit further on how to really utilize it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So when you hear the word influence, or when you first heard of the title of this podcast, what comes to your mind? Well, first I thought it was great, but since you have unplugged um, and to take the you out of that to transfer, you know, that's, it's a great marketing. Um, when I think of influence, I think it's kind of like what I said to you earlier is that, it's, it's a very natural thing that we're not even thinking about, but if you have the ability to and the resources and the knowledge to influence others, you really, it has to be a responsibility. You have to take that as a responsibility that that's something you need to be, you need to do. So that's how I see it. I, I think each day I'm trying to figure out like, how do I help more people? How do I impact more lives? How do I do more? Um, how do I influence more? I'm kind of on that current quest is, that self development from personal and professional in order to, so I can have a greater and larger impact and influence on other people's lives, whether it's within my own family um, or external in business. So it's, um, it's so crucial. I think it's, um, we all have a, a gift and that's being alive in in this world and with all the resources at our fingertips, at least within the United States, we're very, we're very fortunate. Um, and I think it's so important to take advantage of that and be that contributor, like you said. You said that, and it really resonated. So I'm just consume, consume, consume. But um, contributing is is crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. We mentioned books earlier. Mm -hmm. Can you recommend top three business books? Who? Okay. Um. Um. Let's see. I'm in the middle of right now. Uh, the Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Yeah, I think that's it. Ben yes. Horowitz. I'm, look, I'm looking over at my shelf. <laughs> oh, you got it. Well, it's funny because I have literally, I'm, I have my stand propped up by like 10 books right now that I'm either in the middle of or want to read. Um, I would say The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I think Ben, I loved his, um, like we chatted when we first met, is he puts a lot of, um, importance on training and setting expectations but he i love his like no um he doesn't like beat around the bush he's like being a ceo is hard it's yeah. lonely it's difficult you're gonna make mistakes i mean i think it's a it's a great book for even though he's talking from a high high level tech industry experience i think any business owner would really benefit from it um uh another great book is rich dad poor dad have you read that? Of course. That was so, the first book I have read cover to cover in my really? life. Really? 
Yeah, that's embarrassing. I know. I was no, 24. no, it's not. I, no, it's not embarrassing. I <laughs> but it's okay because I know it's embarrassing for me because I was 24 years of age. So other than any textbooks that I had to read in school, I never read a book. I hated okay. reading. And I picked up that book because I was going on my honeymoon. And I'm like, let me get this book because my friend has been recommending this book to me for the past couple of years. Yeah. I was in Barnes and Nobles. And I'm like, let me get this book. And as I started reading, the honeymoon was a cruise ship. So every island we would come out on, you know, I would read the book while I'm on the beach. Yeah. And I had these passerbyers from other countries walking by and they're pointing out to the book, like, great book, mate, great book, great book. Wow. And I'm like, holy smokes, I guess I'm onto something here. And that book yeah. literally, literally changed my entire paradigm. Everything wow. I thought about work, money, yep. wealth, it changed my mindset completely. No, mm-hmm. oh, me too, 100%. I mean, we, our families, I mean, we're a little different age, but my, my parents and their parents, they are my husband's parents. I mean, the what you did, you went to work, you saved your pennies, you get a retirement plan, you're good to go. And we're in a completely different world now. That's, it's very difficult to retire comfortably or live comfortably by saving pennies. Um, it changed my mindset too, completely. And I think it's not necessarily a technical business book, but I, I see it as a business book and kind of that. It's a mindset for sure. Yeah. And it starts there, everything. Okay. So um, get the hard things about hard things and uh, reach that poor dad. What about so the third one isn't necessarily a, because I didn't even think to kind of get that list going, but another one that I just finished um, was Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yep. Have you heard of David Goggins? Absolutely. So I read that book. That was his style is a lot way more intense than I I'm used to, but I thought there was so much value in him saying like, look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. And I don't think a lot of us are good at doing that. It's so easy to kind of be soft to yourself and, and be understanding and kind and patient. But sometimes you need somebody or what would be better is yourself to kind of look in the mirror, like he says, and it's like, no, this needs to change. It needs to change now. So I, I actually, I just finished the book and it really, with him having kind of a difficult upbringing, although it was way more extreme, um, I resonate with his childhood not being ideal and him kind of having to overcome that mentally yeah so I think and I think any sort of development in your own mind impacts you in the business world so I still see that a little bit as kind of like a business book in some way 100% agreed yeah because all business decisions start with an individual mindset Mm -hmm. when you're in leadership position, when you're influencing, right, you have a responsibility to others, but you can't hold others accountable if you can't hold yourself accountable first. Absolutely. And I mean, they always say people don't leave businesses, they leave managers. Exactly. They leave people. And sometimes it's sad, especially in your world, you must see being like, you know, in the leadership training, the difference, what, you know, just the turnover, what would the turnover rate look like if that manager was more effective or more understanding, whatever the, the skill set that they need to have. Um, there's, a, there's an old cliche. You, you manage projects, but you lead people. That's why when that person wanted to debate with me in regards to management versus leadership, and I quickly put that argument to rest by bringing um, a culture expert. Uh, her name is Courtney Sarney. She was actually on one of the podcasts earlier. Don't remember. Oh, great. I'll don't remember maybe 15 or something. Uh, Courtney Sarney, she is... Um, a culture, forget her title exactly, for one of the banks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we have, she's got 2,000 people that, you know, <laughs> rely on culture development. Right. And when I raised that question in the, um, a panel at the, uh, the chamber meeting, yeah. and she addressed it very well and in regards to management versus leadership because everything comes down to leadership. It is not management. You manage numbers, you manage projects, you manage de- uh, deadlines, you manage those things. But when it comes to people, you're leading them. Absolutely. You're leading them, you're influencing them, you're showing them through example. Mm-hmm. And then you manage the tasks. Yeah, no, I, I've never put it that way. I, I think that's a great way to put it. And actually, in Ben Horowitz's book, he has a 
quite a few sections on leadership that re resonates with what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. So you talked earlier when you speak to other beginning um, or startup business owners or existing business owners, whether it's a family related or not, you know, one of the questions to ask, you know, what, what's next in five, 10 years, right? What, what, where are you now to determine where you're going later? So what's next for five, 10 years for you? For me. Hmm. Um, right now I have two, like few key goals. And the one is grow spark technologies as far as I can take it. Um, what's that again? Spark technologies. No, no, so but grow, what's that? What, what does that mean? As far as you can take it. So, um, I've really strong, I want to grow about like 30 to 40% a year. We're on that path. We're getting close. Um, I don't know the end goal for the actual owner of the business, but um, I believe in what they're doing. So I'm working as hard as I can to build them towards their goals. Um, so grow Spark exponentially as much as humanly possible. Um, another goal is for me to sort of, like I said before, is really focus on personal and professional development and kind of find myself again after being so um, you know, focused on the business and being the business owner um, and really learning what, what ignites me, what are my passions. Um, and then another thing is um, we're working at trying to get more involved in real estate. So investment, rich dad, poor dad was a huge catalyst for that. But um, so looking at kind of development, investing in real estate opportunities. So those are kind of like my key focuses right now. What about speaking? Any desire to start doing public speaking? I, I have done a few. So I've been really fortunate. Um, I was on, I was actually one of the, the youngest female on the South Shore Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. So, um, and I was the first female for the South Shore Young Professionals um, Board Directors. Uh, I was the youngest, actually, was I the youngest? I was the first female chair of that board. Um, so those, those, um, organization says I was involved kind of catalyzed me kind of was able to launch me off into a few speaking speaking engagements. So I've done a few, um, but I, I probably want to fine tune like where my message really wants to be in order to kind of take, take it off. You know, if you know what I mean? Of course, of course. You know, I, I love talking. But a, I just, a lot of people struggle with, you know, where to land their message is right. it business is it sales is it operations is it leadership especially right for people that have done it all and done it effectively and i recently was on a call with somebody actually we're going to be recording a podcast with him probably next week uh very accomplished young guy very uh and he's like listen i've done this i brought it to this point i've done that i'm like holy smokes you know he's like i just like now I'm going on my own and <laughs> where do I, where, where do, do I go? do? Right. And, uh, I, I told him like, start with one, you know, if you look at all the greats, if you look at, you know, uh, Hopkins and sales, if you look at Tony Robbins, if you look at anyone, uh, people that we admire or aspire to be like, they all started with one thing. Right. You know, and then they layered on other services, other information, but you start with one. Mm -hmm. yeah no that's a good yeah good point and one thing I uh, you I just wanted to touch base a little bit really quick about um you asking like the next five years one of my current goals now is to really not really look back in the past but I definitely in the four years as owner and on the boards of those some of those um, organizations made some mistakes and I'm trying to dissect those kind of like David Goggins he, I forget he said it was like a a post like a post event or post goal kind of recon on like what went wrong, why it went wrong. And I'm trying to do a lot of self-reflection on like, this is what I see as a potential failure or mistake. Why was that? And how do I fix that? Or how do I prevent that from happening? What can I read or learn that will alleviate that in the future? So just kind of really focusing on, on developing myself to be more effective. In, in whatever future endeavor there is. And who knows, next five, 10 years, that's it's exciting to think about, but a little daunting. Cool. Yeah. All right, so where can people find you? Are you on social media? I know you're on LinkedIn. Yep, right? I am on, yep, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm actually building out my, my kind of like personal, professional development 
and business page on Instagram. So once I have that, I'll send that over to you so that you can tie it in. So primarily LinkedIn did, or did if you, you have any IT. Uh, no, working on that now with like kind of a designer. Okay, but I'm talking about did you create the account already on Instagram? No, not yet. We're building out kind of like the um, the page, like the where we want it to be first, like how where do I want to kind of focus it before I kind of launch it. Okay, is it going to be under Shannon Hoig or different? Most likely, yes. So you don't have an account on Instagram yet. I currently have a personal one, but I don't. I don't have one yet for like kind of the the public the public view. So it's a private account. I currently okay. have a private right. account. Yeah. Right. I was going to advise you on something, but fine. Okay, no worries. We can talk uh, offline. I'd love to hear your your. Yeah, of course, sure. Um, but Shannon Hoig, it says S H A N N O N H O E G. That's on yep. LinkedIn. Uh, you have a Facebook page. Yep, that is that is personal as well. But I'll always connect with people if they send me a, a private message and just kind of explain why they want to connect. You know, um, love to love to connect with people and actually have a conversation. Yeah, and then if anyone has any IT questions, my email is Shannon at SparkTechLLC.com. Shannon at SparkTechLLC.com. Correct. Got it. Okay, well, I'm actually. Uh, we're releasing a new episode today, and that's uh, that's going to be on the importance of self-branding. Okay, no, okay. so that's no. kind of what I'm working with with them right now. It's like yeah. that self-branding, making no, sure. No, no matter whether you're an employee of an organization or you're a startup or a, a large business, but you're a decision maker, because a lot of business owners don't want to have a personal brand. Right. Right. Even I'm not talking about thousands of employees. I'm talking about, you know, 50, 100, 200, 500 employees, but they're a local service based business, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and I've been asked questions by these decision makers, like, what's the importance? Should I do it? Should I not? Should I stay quiet and just like business grow? You know, there's no right or wrong, uh, but there is something to be said where people will always follow personal brands faster. Absolutely. And more effectively than an entity that doesn't have a personal um, voice. Right. Yeah. yeah, people want to connect. And they want to connect to other humans. Yeah. And that's why those LinkedIn business pages typically don't work. It's, it, it's, there's no interaction. People want to interact with, with me when I post things on where I'm, what I'm doing and what I'm learning or something when it comes from cybersecurity. People connect with that more than they do just in you know, a company putting out a post. Cool. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, Shannon, it's been great having you on a podcast. Greatly appreciate your time and all the uh, wisdom. And <laughs> I, I love, I love calling this wisdom because wisdom it doesn't come with age; it comes with experience. And it looks like your experience started yeah. at the very early stages of your life. And uh, I'm really happy to see the direction that it led you in. That's Thank awesome. you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I I hope that this help somebody in some capacity and if it will honestly like i said i really am an open book if, if if someone connects with you and said hey can i can i chat with her i've been concerned about or afraid of like i love to help people absolutely love it brings me such joy um so i hope it does influence somebody in a really positive way awesome love it thank you so uh, much shannon thanks Raphael. have a good one you too take care thank you for listening to this podcast i appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already, please show us your support by subscribing and leaving a positive review to help us advance on the chart. You can always connect with me on social media by searching for Rafael Mavi at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you have any questions or just want to drop a line, the fastest way to get a hold of me is through my Instagram. Until next time.